At the end, I gave my mom, my adoptive mom, who I just call my mom, a card just thanking her for being supportive through all of this. And I knew that without her support, I wouldn't have been brave enough to search and to go through everything that I did. Because I think you have to have a certain, I don't know, a certain sense of like safety in terms of who you are as a person and who you already have behind you as a family to be able to take that risk to reach out to somebody who may or may not reach back to you. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today you're going to meet Sherry. She called me from Chicago, but she was raised in Michigan. Sherry said that she sometimes thought about searching for her birth family, but even talking about it with her husband made her cry. She finally gathered the strength to start her search after voraciously reading a book that dramatically changed her perspective about her adoption and the possibilities for what her mother had gone through. It took time for Sherry's birth mother to overcome a family loss and regain her strength to face Sherry. Sherry was patient along the way, making sure that building trust with her birth family was the foremost goal in her reunion. This is Sherry's journey. Sherry was raised in a small town in Michigan. She and her older brother, also an adoptee, always knew they were adopted, and Sherry had a few friends in school who were also adoptees. Everything felt pretty normal when she was a kid, and she felt unique for the attention other people paid to her when they found out she was adopted. Her mom's best friend even adopted two children who were close in age to Sherry and her brother's ages. Sherry asked her mom why they never had children. And I just remember her saying, you know, sometimes things don't work out. And I've always been kind of sensitive and just kind of that answer and her tone. I just sort of got the message of like, okay, (laughs) it didn't work out. So that was kind of it. And I just didn't feel comfortable asking anymore about it. Mm -hmm. You got the impression that she didn't really want to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, she might have given me more information if I asked, but it just, it felt a little bit uncomfortable or personal or I don't know. I just, I, I didn't need to know anymore. And (laughs) so I just kind of accepted that and moved on. Sherry said that life was just fine. And she and her brother were typical siblings considering their age difference. She always thought he was cool because he was artistic. He was always kind of like, you know, the the rebellious one. And I was kind of the goody two-shoes. So, you know, there was the conflict of that. But, you know, we always stuck together through things. And we always were family. I do remember one time getting mad at him and saying, well, you're not my brother. It's just some dumb coincidence that you're my brother. And he's like, yeah, that's true. You know, but that was like the only time I ever remember saying anything and you know we didn't mean it sherry said she was mildly curious about her birth family members when she was younger but when she got older people close to her started pressing her about finding her birth family but their inquiries made her upset once i got married my husband was always really curious for me and he would bring it up and he would ask me um you know don't you want to search don't you want to find out and it would always just make me immediately cry. And I didn't understand the feelings. I just knew it was overwhelming. It wasn't something that I put a lot of thought into. And I thought about it, but then I would stop thinking about it and just move on with life. So 
did you get a sense as to why he was so interested in you finding your biological family? He's from a big Puerto Rican, very close family. And they, um, I don't know, they're just, they're so family oriented and so social. And so um, family is just really important to him and his family. And so to him, it was just like, you have family out there. And I was just like, yeah. <laughs> um, and when we started, you know, thinking about having kids, then he, you know, brought it up more often. And um, even my doctor, um, we had kind of a nosy doctor, but she was really good. <laughs> we had for many years. <laughs> and she, you know, you have the, the form and you're filling stuff out and you're like, I don't know, I'm adopted. And she would go beyond like, oh, okay. And actually ask, well, have you ever thought about looking for them? Aren't you curious? I bet they think about you. <laughs> and like, she's even made me cry. <laughs> wow. So, um, you know, I just, I remember saying, well, I don't want to disrupt anybody's life. And it just seemed like a really big deal. And I didn't know what anybody, you know, would, would think about it, what, you know, I would be disrupting my birth parents' lives. And I didn't know, you know, if my adoptive parents would be okay with that. And um, so it was just kind of, kind of overwhelming. After Sherry got married, she requested her non-identifying information. And that launched her personal search for details about her life. She didn't feel like telling anyone officially that she was searching, so she just kind of stayed up late at night, hunting for details. Seeing her non-ID made her more and more curious, and she learned that she was born at a Salvation Army hospital for unwed mothers. And to me, that was fascinating. You know, I found out she'd been sent away. And wow. so that, I don't know, that made me feel a little bit more compassion for her mm. and a little bit less like, well, they just didn't want me, so whatever. Mm. which is kind of how I got through, I think, my childhood, because I just figured, well, <laughs> you know, they gave me up. So it happened. I have parents. I'm, I'm fine. And I sort of went with that. But um, I got more and more curious. When she got the non-ID, Sherry found out her birth father was 21 years old and her birth mother was still in high school. But they did want to get married back then. Her non-ID said that the month before her birth, her paternal grandfather died. So she figured finding a death index for some last name for that man would be a helpful clue. Sherry took copious notes as she searched on and off for years. Then, in 2010, she read The Girls That Went Away by Ann Fessler. That book allowed Sherry to understand a different perspective outside of herself in adoption. I think it made me think outside of myself because, you know, all along I was thinking you know, me and where I came from and how it affected me and did they want me or didn't they want me and that type of thing. And then when I read that book and it kind of talked about what society was like in the 50s and 60s and early 70s, it opened my eyes because I had no idea. It's so different. Everything was so different than it is now where people have resources. And if your parents aren't supportive of you today, you have people you can go to and ways that you can get help. And Back then, I mean, there were women that just the second they found out they were pregnant, they were shipped off somewhere, they were sent to a relative, they, you know, were hidden away, and there was a story made up about them. And so that made me think more about my birth mom and what she went through just to give me life and to, you know, to go through all that and then go back to life, you know, try to go back to life as normal. To me, it just seemed like, you know, she might need this as much as I need this. And so... It, it wasn't just me and my own curiosity, but it was kind of a deeper need of like, if I can 
meet her, if I can help heal myself, heal her, try to kind of make things right, because this was such an injustice that this happened to all these women that they were just sent away with no choice. Um, and from my non-identifying information, I knew she stayed with a cousin for a while. Um, I knew her relationship with her mother was rocky. And so I knew, I just knew that those stories represented her story. And so, I mean, I, I read the whole book in a weekend. I couldn't put it down. Mm-hmm. And um, so from there, it just, it changed my perspective on the whole issue of adoption. At least adoption back then. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. And it's cool to hear you say that it sort of put you outside of yourself, you know, made you think about someone else's narrative and their history and how they arrived at the decision to put up a baby, albeit yourself, for adoption. That's really fascinating. Sherry did some thinking and searching periodically, going through periods of obsessive investigation and lulls of letting it go for a while. Her adoptive father passed away in 2004, so when she wanted to broach the topic of searching for her birth relatives with her mom in 2013, she just didn't know how to bring it up without crying. She opted for some electronic courage to express her thoughts, so she emailed her mother about it. They email each other every day, so it wasn't a significant departure from their normal ongoing communications with one another. Um, I sent her an email and I said, look, you know, this is something I was thinking about doing, would it be okay with you? I, I wouldn't want to do anything to hurt your feelings. You know, you've always been my mom. That doesn't change. And um, she basically gave me her blessing. And, and she said, I don't, she's always said it would just be more people to love me. Um, yeah. And she was fine with it. So Sherry contacted the adoption agency to check in on getting a confidential intermediary. She filled out the paperwork to officially petition the court, sent in the $300 payment, and picked which parent she wanted to search for. And I wasn't sure because a piece in my non-identifying information said that my birth father was really involved and he asked a lot of specific questions and he showed a great deal of emotions and like wanted to know specific things about my well-being. Mm. So I always kind of felt like they were both important to me. Um, But I figured, well, she gave birth to me. She's my birth mom. I'll start with her. And who knows, maybe they got married. Sherry said that the process was slow. The adoption agency representative would only email her every few days, talking about plans for what she was going to do the following week. Of course, when an adoptee has made the decision to search, we're usually all in, looking for daily, if not hourly, updates. But Sherry was being tortured by the snail's pace of progress within the agency. Finally, the court-appointed intermediary contacted her. And she was all excited, and she said, um... It was really easy to find them, and I was writing down everything from the beginning, adding it to my, you know, collection of information that I was, you know, trying to figure out all myself. Mm-hmm. So I took notes as she as she called me, and she probably told me more than she should have because she hadn't even started the search, but she was excited, and she said, oh, it was just a quick Google search, and your birth parents got married, and you have a sibling who's three years younger than you. So she told me this stuff, so I got excited. And she mailed it in April, and I waited, and I waited. Mm -hmm. And finally, it was May 6, 2013, uh, which is funny timing, because that's my adoptive dad's birthday. So when the CI called me, she was like, I talked to her. Um, She was really guarded. She, I told her your first name, and I, you know, um, I think she read her a letter that I wrote. But she was, she said she was really emotional. Like she could tell she was holding in a lot of emotions Mm. and basically that she wasn't ready to accept 
contact or a letter or anything from me at that time. Hmm. So in expecting all the fast, well, you know, I, you know, I'm giving them all these ways to contact me and um, kind of just expecting that they would want that. I was really surprised that it was a no, basically. Well, it wasn't a no, but it was a not right now. Hmm. And her mom had passed away recently, like less than a, there was like maybe six months before. So she was dealing with that. And so for this to come, it wasn't great timing for her. Mm-hmm. And again, that's where looking back, I can now say it wasn't about me. <laughs> yeah. But really, it was it was the first time I ever felt actual rejection. You know, right. it was the first time I felt like, oh, yeah, they actually didn't want me. But even then, knowing what I know now, it was it was the timing. It was, you know, I spent all these years thinking about it. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I showed up. And so it was too much for her to handle at the time. So she didn't give a firm no, but she said, you know, not right now. I I can't right now. Being a persistent adoptee armed with a lot of information, but not having any answers, Sherry pressed on to discover more. She contacted the Salvation Army to obtain records from them. But her records were in the National Archives in Virginia, and she didn't know her birth name. Emailing with a woman on the other end of her search, Sherry said she only knew her date of birth and the hospital where she was born. The woman said she'd try to help, but she made no promises. Later, Sherry received a package of redacted paperwork. But again, being a persistent (laughs) adoptee, um, there were parts that I could kind of see through. And so (laughs) I literally spent lunch hours with my friend at work holding this paperwork up to the window because in a certain kind of light, you could see through some of the stuff. Um, and I could see, I was pretty sure I could see the town and it was a small town. Um, and then I could tell certain tall letters in her last name and where they were in kind of a long last name. Mm-hmm. And then I knew that my birth father was Dutch, um, of Dutch descent, had a bunch of siblings, everybody Dutch. Um, and being from West Michigan and kind of familiar with Dutch last names, I figured, okay, <laughs> that's something I can use. Sherry took the clues that she had accumulated to G's adoption registry. An amazing team of search angels were on the case. As Sherry dug around for more clues, they would either confirm accurate facts or deny misinformation that she shared with them. She spent late nights guessing at names trying to decipher surnames that had tall letters in all the right positions. She looked in online yearbooks for the years her parents would have been in high school. Sherry found a name that looked Dutch and had tall letters in all the right places. And I sent it to the search angels, and I said, you know, I'm wondering if if these names work. And one of them came back and said, I think you figured it out. So they sent me my birth parents' names, my sister's name, Um, different family members with like birthdays, years of marriage, stuff like that. Um, And that's when I realized, holy cow, I figured it out. Um, So that was really exciting because I kind of felt like, I don't know, this this thing that had been done to me, this, you know, it, it just felt like an injustice. Like I couldn't even find out where I came from. So I felt like I sort of won a little victory there. So of course I went on Facebook and <laughs> I looked up them and I looked up my sister. And when I saw my sister, there was no doubt in my mind. She just looked like 
I don't know, I laugh because she looked like a younger, less stressed out version of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I could definitely see a resemblance. And so then from there, I was like, well, okay, if they don't want to know me, that's their choice. But I have a sister, you know. The news that Sherry had a full-blood sister was really exciting. Her best friend had been like a sister to her, but this was a blood relative she had found. Sherry reached out to her CI to learn what the rules were for engaging her sibling since her birth mother had rejected her. The CI said that she was not legally allowed to go around the parents herself, but she made another point worth considering. But she said, you know, it's been almost two years since I contacted your your birth parents, and she didn't say no. She said, not right now. So she said, I'd be happy to send another letter. Hmm. Um, and so she asked me if I wanted her to do that. And I said, okay, go ahead and do that. So I had to try to be patient. And actually, I forgot to mention with my first letter, she did tell the CI that she let my birth dad know that I contacted her, but not knowing them. And I guess just being cautious and wanting to make sure he knew. Um, I did ask for her to send him a letter directly addressed to him. Um, and she had done that too. So they both got individual letters from me. Uh huh. Yeah. So back in 2013, she sent my birth mom one like in April and then she heard back from her in May and then she waited about a month. And then in June, she sent one to my birth father with restricted delivery mm. that he was supposed to sign. Now I found out she signed for it because it's a small town and sometimes people just don't care. Right. <laughs> She's like, oh yeah, I signed for that. I'm like, okay. Um, but I thought just in case he didn't know, I wanted to make sure he knew yeah. that I wanted to know him and yeah. give both of them a chance to know. I care about both of you and I want to know both of you. That was really smart so, for you to make sure to reach out directly to him. Because you're absolutely right. A person who is not in the right position to sort of accept your outreach at the at that moment might right. also sort of not feel like discussing it and therefore not tell their spouse about it in that moment. And and right. it could snowball and become a secret because they didn't disclose it at that time. And did he respond? He didn't because um, they're married and they stick together. And that's why they've been married for 42 years. But So he was open to meeting me right away, but he was waiting on her is what I know now. Oh. So I didn't get any response from his from reaching out to him. So... Two years had passed. She said, you know, she didn't say no. And she said, well, it's true. Usually birth mothers that are that guarded when they call don't end up saying yes. She said she didn't say no. She said not right now. So I can send her another letter and we'll see and take it from there. That's great. So she sent her another letter. And um, a few weeks later, she called me and she said, oh, I have good news. Your birth mom called and she sounded completely different from last time. And she was happy. And um, she said, you know, yes, she'll accept a letter from you. Um, and it was just totally different. So wow. at that How point, that I knew who they were. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it was kind of a release. It felt a little bit awkward because I figured out who they were. So I sort of felt like a stalker. But I wanted to respect their wishes and not cross any boundaries they weren't ready for me to cross. So I did see who they were on Facebook. I knew what they looked like. Um, and I completely backed off any of that <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because now I was like, okay, they're willing. So let me see how this goes. The plan worked and the doors were opened. Sherry mailed off a card with some pictures of herself to the CI in the spring of that year. 
The process of sending non-identifying information was still in effect, which was frustrating for Sherry. They continued to go back and forth through snail mail, with the CI in the middle, further slowing the exciting process of trying to communicate. While she was frustrated with the whole thing, Sherry tried to be patient, and she wanted to build trust with her birth mother, despite knowing who her birth mother was and having the address already. In late summer, Sherry's uncle, whom she was very close to, passed away. But keeping the regular pace of their letters back and forth, she wrote to her birth parents during that sad time. But she felt it was too mushy and emotional. I didn't mail it, and I just kind of waited. And so she sent another letter a couple weeks later, because we were going about you know once a month back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I think she got used to that routine, and then she didn't hear from me. So she wrote me a letter, and she said, you know, I don't know if your letter got lost in the mail, but I haven't heard from you. So, so she had written me before she got anything back from me. She wrote to me another time. That's nice. Um, and I mean, it, like I said, it was about once a month. So it was only a few letters. And that last time my birth dad sent a little note along with it. And it was the first time I'd heard directly from him. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was happy. And he said, oh, I can see, you know, a reunion in our future. And basically, mm-hmm. he, he all along kind of said that he was sort of trying to help her get comfortable and push her yeah. to be okay with it. He was setting her up. Yeah, yeah. In November, one of Sherry's friends was being ordained as a minister, and the church services were starting a little late. So, like we all do, she was passing the time on her phone. Checking her email, she saw her birth mother's name. And in my email, I saw her name and I started freaking out. And I looked at my husband and I was like, this is her. This is her. (laughs) Holy crap, this is her. Sherry's mother had grown tired of the slow pace of snail mail through the intermediary. And she didn't care anymore if Sherry knew or not who she was. Of course, Sherry already knew a lot about her birth mother. They began emailing back and forth. But their responses were still slow, only trickling in once a week. But they were building trust. Sherry learned that no one in the family knew about her. Her younger sister, three years Sherry's junior, didn't know. And her birth father's siblings, many of whom were younger than himself, also had no idea he fathered a child when he was 21. His brother was seven when I was born. So the younger kids had no idea. So I had aunts and uncles out there that had no idea. A couple, like the older ones did, Mm. but most of them had no idea and nobody spoke of it again. And so... My birth dad hadn't told his siblings. They hadn't told my sister. And so then it became, you know, we have to tell her before we meet. And then because it was the holidays, my birth mom was nervous, you know, about messing things up for the holidays if my sister was upset. And so she wanted to wait until after the holidays. They went to something through my sister's church called Secret Sisters. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like a sort of like a Secret Santa type of thing. But and then after Secret Sisters... (laughs) My birth mom told my sister, um, you have a secret sister. Oh, my God. And, um, you know, just ended up telling her about me. And my sister was really excited, and she was, you know, supportive and nice about it. And so then after that, we ended up meeting. It was February 7th. Wow. Imagine that. we ended up meeting. You go to a a ceremony called Secret Sisters, and you leave and find out you actually have a secret sister. That's crazy. Right. (laughs) That must have yep. been unreal. So, wow. It must have yeah. been hard for you, though, also to to think, man, I have to go through the holidays and wait. 
before they plan to tell yeah. her? I mean, you must have been thinking, like, just tell her now and let's see how the holidays go. Yeah, the whole thing was slow and frustrating. And I'm in Chicago now, but my family's all in Michigan. My adoptive family and my birth family, they're all in Michigan, less than an hour away from each other. So when I was with my family for Thanksgiving, I was within an hour of, of where they live. That's crazy. Um, and so it was kind of weird just to do like a happy Thanksgiving email, <laughs> you know, right. being that close. Sherry was limited to emailing her family throughout the holidays, even though she was so close geographically. As they emailed more and more and they got more comfortable with one another, Sherry revealed that her curiosity had been so strong that she had already discovered who they were. But they were okay with her figuring out their identity. After revealing to their younger daughter that their family had secret sisters, they all made arrangements to meet. Sherry and her husband drove three hours from Chicago to their hometown in Michigan. By the time we were maybe 15 minutes, 30 minutes from their house, I was pretty sure I was going to throw up <laughs> um, or cry or something. Sherry also thought she might have made a mistake with the day she chose for their first meeting. But it turned out her family was just like her, and the big game didn't mean much to them either. It makes me laugh because it's the first thing I can think of that was a big similarity with them. Um, because we made plans to go that Sunday, and my husband drove with me. And then I realized after we set the date that it was the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I felt bad because I thought the whole world watches the Super Bowl. I didn't realize it was Super Bowl Sunday, but what if they're just being nice and they want to watch the Super Bowl and this is bad timing? Mm. So I asked them and they laughed because they're not into the Super Bowl either. <laughs> they don't watch football or any kind of sports. So they're like, nope, that's fine. So we ended up going just for the day on a Sunday for the first time. We got there and my birth dad was standing in the driveway and um, he just said, hi, kids. <laughs> and my husband and I both gave him a hug. And, um, but, you know, we were just like, hey, <laughs> gave him a big hug. And then we went inside and my birth mom was in there and she was just quiet and she cried a little bit. I thought for sure I would cry because I cry for I cry at commercials. <laughs> um, and I didn't. I was just kind of <laughs> just kind of um, numb. I think it was just a lot. It was overload. Sherry said that first day is kind of a blur. They chatted all day, looking through old pictures. She took pictures of their pictures from the days when her parents were young. I asked about when Sherry learned about the story of her adoption. She said her birth mother shared why she was placed for adoption in one of her very first letters. In one of her letters, I think the first letter even, um, she had explained to me, because I feel like in the beginning, maybe they just weren't sure what I wanted. And if I just wanted answers, I know she was really afraid I was going to hate her. She was afraid that my sister was going to hate her. So in one of those very first letters, she had explained and she basically said, you know, I, I love you. And because of my love for you, I had to choose adoption for you because my, my birth father's parents wanted her to have an abortion. And she said, because she loved me, she just wouldn't. And that wasn't a thought in her mind. And so she wanted to give birth to me. And so in order to do that, she, she wasn't allowed to keep me. So that's when they decided to put me up for adoption. Wow. So how did you feel when yeah. you heard that? I think because I read that book, it wasn't too much of a surprise. I was, I, don't know, I guess, angry with, with the grandparents, you know, mm -hmm. um, 
especially as a parent myself of teenagers, I just didn't understand how you could do that to your kid to make them go through those things or make those choices. But it explained a lot and it, it would have been harder for me if it would have been like, well, I was in school and I couldn't keep up with my schoolwork and raise a baby. So I decided this was better for you and for me. A story like that, I don't think I would have wanted to even be in reunion, you know? Mm. Um, I would have I would have been like, well, you just chose not to have me, so fine. <laughs> I have yeah. a family, yeah. you know? But because it was that situation and I didn't feel like she really had a choice. Um, she was young. She was in high school. Her mom was a single mom. She had lots of siblings, you know, and back then you had to leave school. So she had to drop out of her senior year you know, go mm-hmm. off and stay with family um, and yeah. just stay hidden away. And then it said in my paperwork, she spent two weeks at the hospital for un- unwed mothers before I was born. And so it just all, I don't know, it, it made sense and yeah. it was logical. And I think that helped. So it wasn't that the couple just chose to take an easier path for themselves. They were forced to make a decision about whether Sherry would have a life or not. And they chose life. But she found out something else that she really had to come to terms with. They got married six months after I was born. Really? Which, when I found that out, it bothered me a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I thought, wow, six months? And really? Um, But my birth dad, I had a conversation with him one day when I was there. And it was short. um, But he basically said, you know, they could have had a shotgun wedding. But he knew people that did that, and it didn't work out. Um, And so he was really afraid that if they just went and got married because she got pregnant, that it wouldn't work out, you know, that they would end up divorced. And in his mind, that just didn't seem right. So Mm -hmm. it makes a little more sense to me that way. Sherry's birth father has some old-fashioned values and doesn't believe in divorce. Learning more about him the family, and their values, their choices so long ago make a little more sense to her now. I wondered about her relationship with her full-blood sister. Sherry said she concentrated a lot on building a relationship with her birth mother in the beginning, introducing her to new experiences. Their family was used to small-town living and hadn't traveled much, hadn't been on planes or trains. Sherry introduced her mother to big city Chicago, but she felt like her sister wasn't happy with her. And she even had a bad dream about her ill feelings toward her. I had a dream that she was mad at me. And I can't remember exactly what she said. But I remember like waking up and telling my birth mom, man, I had this dream. And, you know, and I said how she had been upset with me. And she's like, that's weird. That's silly (laughs) or something like that. But then I didn't end up seeing my sister that weekend. And in the beginning, I mostly would visit them and and just see them. I didn't see her so much. And I, I left it in their hands who I saw when I visited but um, one day at work in June, it was one of the last days of school, I'm a teacher, I got a text from her saying, thanks to you, I'm no longer speaking to my parents. <laughs> I was oh, like, yikes. what? So I didn't know what was going on. But it was weird because like two weeks before that I had that dream. And then she was texting me that and I thought, this doesn't make sense. I don't know. In my head, especially after working to try to connect with these people and try to show like, I'm not trying to just anybody's life or ruin anyone's life. I just want to know you and hopefully have some kind of relationship. So I thought I can't say anything 
that I'm going to regret. You know, I don't want to burn any bridges. I don't want to hurt her, even though it was hurtful reading what she said. I just thought I can't, I can't get into this with her. And so I said stuff like, well, this doesn't make sense. And I don't understand, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, by the end, I just kind of said, you sound like you need space and that's what I'm going to give you. And I stopped writing back to her and she spent that summer basically not speaking to my birth parents and I didn't understand it. You know, I know my birth mom lost a lot of sleep over it. And so I think, I don't know, in talking to her afterwards, she apologized to me. She said it didn't have anything to do with me. It had more to do with her relationship with them things that were happening. And I think just the fact that they didn't do a lot of stuff. And then all of a sudden I showed up and, you know, mm. my birth mom's taking a train to the city and staying for a few days and just things that were out of character mm-hmm. um, on top of whatever probably bizarre behavior came from dealing with all the emotions of me just showing up. It was complicated for them. Sherry treaded lightly during that situation, making sure not to ask her birth mother about her sister and generally trying to let them work things through. Thankfully, her sister came around. They did eventually work it out. And then my sister came to visit one day and we talked about it and she apologized and it started to make sense. But she was just so mad too about not knowing. And she she said, I would be so mad like if I went through my whole life and I didn't know about you. And she was like, but I wouldn't know about you. So I wouldn't know. So I wouldn't be mad. But that makes me really mad, <laughs> you know? And so... <laughs> So she was just trying to process like, you know, she always, she grew up an only child. Yeah. Um, always wanted a sibling. And then to find out that she had one out there that she didn't know about, she, it was just really hard to process. The girls are trying to get to know one another, work things out further, and make up for some of the sister time they missed. They're both busy with their lives, but they visit one another when they can. I asked Sherry about how things are with her birth parents now. It's been really good. I kind of think about it like, I don't know, when I got married and I had been married for a couple of years and then you look back and you think, man, five years ago, I didn't know this person. How is that? I sort of feel like that with them. Like, I can't believe that I just met them in real life two years ago because we have gotten close. My birth mom and I email each other a few times a day. My birth dad is quieter. And we'll joke about his thumbs getting sore if he writes me too long of messages, (laughs) but he'll kind of check in. I've had to kind of be assertive about spending time with them. Not, not super assertive. It kind of goes against my nature, but I've found that if I don't bring stuff up or kind of make it happen, it won't necessarily happen. (laughs) So um, they're fine with me coming to visit. They're kind of slower about leaving their house. Yeah. So I was just there a couple weekends ago and spent the weekend. And it was really nice. I just kind of hang out at their house. We don't do a ton. But like I said in the the beginning, I sort of, when I first met them, I felt like such a little kid. I felt like such a little baby, you know, that I felt like I could just sit in our room, you know, especially with my birth mom. Like I could just sit in a room with her and and be okay with that because I was just experiencing being around her and getting to know her and, you know, figuring her out and talking. Now I sort of feel like, that relationship has matured some and we know each other better and we're more comfortable. So it's a little different. Sometimes it's fun to go out and and do some things, but it is starting to feel more normal. Sherry says their relationship has really grown and she sounds very thankful for it. They know one another much better now and occasionally 
they actually go out and do things, building memories of shared experiences. Sherry likes the life at her parents' house. Her family's small town living is the antithesis of her big city life. Sherry says she's been out on the tractor with her birth mother gathering wood for their wood-burning stove. Her sister thinks she's crazy and can't believe Sherry doesn't get bored doing those chores. But Sherry just wants to be close to them. Of course, I wondered how her adopted mother was coping with all of this. Sherry said she's been really supportive since day one. She told her birth mother about the rocky beginning when she thought her parents didn't want to know her. She's been really supportive. Um, she, like I said in the beginning, she was fine with it. And then I did tell her when I figured out who my sister was, I told her because I was so freaked out by the pictures and stuff and my sister's Facebook. And so I said, look at this, you have to see this. And I don't know, I know she has feelings around it that she hasn't maybe shared with me. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I think she was hesitant really to look at first, but then she did. And she was like, wow, <laughs> you know? Wow. I don't know. She's been supportive. She just always says it's just more people to love you. And then um, <laughs> back in the fall, I had gone to a wedding, but then around the same time, I don't remember if it was the same. It's all kind of a blur because it was so much emotionally to process. But they ended up meeting. We all went out to eat. Your biological parents and your adopted mom got to meet? How was that? Um, <laughs> it was, I was staying with my birth parents um, for the weekend. And then we just met up with my mom at a restaurant and then we went back. So they were, my birth parents were super nervous. I could tell they didn't say a lot about it, but they were really nervous, um, which made me nervous. So yeah. it was fine. Everybody was nice to each other. My birth dad was silly. Like he was making jokes <laughs> and he just made a couple of jokes that sort of got us, you know, laughing when the waitress came and stuff. Cool. Um, so yeah, that sort of helped because my birth mom was really quiet. It was sort of a nervous thing, but it was fine, and we got through it. How did that At feel the for end, you? I, you know, <laughs> it was such a mix of feelings. I still don't know how I feel about it. Like, <laughs> I wanted them to meet, and I thought maybe something would change, but I don't feel like anything really changed, except now they've met. But I always thought, like, if I ended up in the hospital or, I don't know, if there was some emergency and, you know, worlds came together, I I didn't want you know, <laughs> yeah, you don't want them to meet for the first time something. in an emergency. Yeah. In a, like some right, familiarity is helpful. Right. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I just felt like this in the process of, I have these people that are all important to me right now. I, I wanted to have that connection. So I'm yeah. glad that it happened. <laughs> That's good. Um, at, yeah. At the end, I gave my mom, my adopted mom, who I just call my mom, a card, just thanking her for being supportive through all of this. And I knew that without her support, I wouldn't have, been brave enough to search and to go through everything that I did because I think you have to have a certain I don't know a certain sense of like safety in terms of who you are as a person and who you already have behind you as a family to be able to take that risk to reach out to somebody who may or may not reach back to you yeah so I wrote her a little card just as we left I gave it to her just thanking her for being there um because I feel like she didn't have to do that and yeah, so then I went back with my birth parents, and that was it. We went home. We went to bed. No one really talked about it, so <laughs> I don't know. But it happened. That's cool. And it was something I wanted to happen. So yeah, yeah. That was kind of a relief. They've met, and it was a friendly meeting. My mom <laughs> told me that my birth dad was me, totally. She's like, he's just silly. He's you 100%. 
which made me laugh because I think I'm kind of him 100%, you know, since I'm the younger one, but even she saw some of the similarities. Yeah, the same thing. That's so interesting, especially from her vantage point, because she could see everybody from the outside. Right. Wow. Right. That's really cool. Yep. Wow, Sherry, this has been really cool. Thank you so much for sharing. This is... I always like to hear about these kinds of stories where, you know, there's all this anticipation and then you figure out like sometimes people feel like they're going to be rejected and then things turn around. And I'm always glad to hear that the parents have found it within themselves to reach a point where they can accept the child coming back because it's really hard as the child to reach out. You know, you basically are opening up everything about yourself and saying, like, I'm here take me or leave me, but please, please, please take me. Right. And, uh, and that's gotta be right. really, really a relief for you to know that she reached the point after, you know, losing someone in her own family that she was willing to accept you back. That's really cool. Yep. And it's even gotten to the point that, you know, it's a small town. So when I started visiting, when they ran into people they knew, I would sort of step back or turn away or, you know, do you want me to act like I'm not with you so that you don't have to explain who I am, <laughs> you know? And it was awkward in the beginning. And now, you know, it's, it's happened enough times where they introduced me and it's fine and everything feels comfortable. So I think we're past all the awkward parts. And um, the last time I went to visit, I didn't feel nervous. It was the first time ever that I just, I knew it, you know, I knew what was happening. I knew what to expect. I felt comfortable. And so it's nice. It took two years, but it's nice to reach that kind of normal. Oh man! But I, yeah, I just, I definitely wanted to share because sometimes I read stories or I hear about people, you know, and they get hesitation in the beginning. And, and again, when somebody says no, it's probably no, but it could also be not right now. And so that's what stands out to me and why I always try to tell my story. And I'm always online, like, Hey, don't give up hope. Like there are these positive things that she said and just give her time and, like help her trust you. And yeah. some people are quick to, to feel rejected or, or get mad or give up or move on to other family. I know if I had contacted my sister first, I would have lost all trust with my birth mom and would not have a relationship with her. Yeah, You know, it wouldn't have been fair to her. So, wow. But it took forever. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you were, you were incredibly smart to be respectful of the boundaries that you perceived or that were really there. And you really took your time and executed this, you know, properly, making sure that you gain their trust. I think it was really well done. And, and I'm really thankful that it worked out for you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much for sharing your story, Sherry. I appreciate it. Thank you. I love your podcast. So oh, I was nervous, but I'm so excited to have been able to talk to you. Oh, that's really cool. I'm really glad that you uh, we finally got together. It took us a while. So thank you so much. <laughs> I know. Thank you. All right. Take care, Sherry. All the best. Okay. Thanks, Damon. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's me. Sherry's journey is one example of the old adage, time heals all wounds. After she initially felt rejected, her court-appointed investigator reminded Sherry that her birth mother did not say no to reunion flat out. She said, not right now. I was amazed by her patience during the process of communicating through that intermediary and her foresight to recognize that if she didn't take time to build trust and fight the urge to just reach out to her sister, she could have lost it all. And it was super thoughtful of Sherry to give her adopted mother a card to say thanks for supporting her search. It's important to recognize everyone who supports us in whatever we do. 
especially when it comes to something as sensitive to everyone involved as a reunion. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Sherry's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn, who am I, really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can also find the show at facebook.com slash really or follow me on Twitter at really. And please, if you like the show, you can subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, take a moment to share a rating or leave a comment. Those ratings can help others find the podcast too.